Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice what happens next will last forever the Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All set for your flight? Yep, I've got everything I need. Eye mask, neck pillow, T-Mobile, headphones. Wait, T-Mobile? You bet. Free in-flight Wi-Fi. 15% off all Hilton brands. I never go anywhere without T-Mobile. Same goes from a water bottle, chewing gum, nail clippers, okay, passport. I'm gonna leave you to it. Find out how you can experience travel better at T-Mobile.com slash travel. Qualifying plan required. Wi-Fi were available on select U.S. airlines. Deposit and Hilton Honors membership required for 15% discount. Terms and conditions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will smart food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Year's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the fine fellows of Bird Campbell, PA, with law offices in Florida and Texas. Bird Campbell means business. Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 106 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday night, February 11th, 2018. It's Coach K's birthday in two days, guys. So uh, hopefully he's feeling a little bit better than he was a few days ago because uh, Duke beat Georgia Tech today. Um, And before we kind of get to all that, I'll do introductions. So I am your host this week, Sam Klein, uh, coming as I usually do from Denver. And I would like to, before I throw it to the, to my other co-hosts, I would like to apologize for not being available Thursday night for the reaction to the unfortunate UNC loss. Um, but I will say that I downloaded and listened to your show, um, just the Donald and Jason show, uh, right after you posted it and listened to it the next day. So, um, I was all over all of your discussion. I thought it was a very fine episode without me. Uh, I normally normally don't. We don't need back. you. We don't yeah, need yeah, yeah. you. <laughs> uh, it was no, short, though, yeah. so, so um, you know, I, I had some quibbles about that. But um, I would like to formally request that we not discuss the UNC game again because I don't feel like reliving it. I know you guys don't feel like reliving it. Um, I think it was one of the like angrier, more emotional, like negatively emotional shows that we've ever done. So let's put it to bed, and that's that. Um, with that. Uh, my two co-hosts this evening, uh, as usual, are Donald Wine in Washington, D.C. Hello, Donald. Hello. It's been a very terrible weekend as far as the weather. We've gotten like three inches of rain here, so I'm not quite sure 
why we decided to get rain. But you know what? It was a good weekend. It has ended well with a Duke victory. Excellent, excellent. I, I actually the the I was up in the mountains of Colorado this weekend, and the weather was lovely. If you like having lots of snow coming down so that you can ski on it, um, well, sixty five today here and rainy. It's unpleasant. It's February. Yes, there you go. I I, I want ten inches of snow on February. Yeah. So that's I'm, just I'm, me. I'm with you. We like that here. So and then and then I hope it wasn't snowing where you were, Jason Evans, because you live in Atlanta and you were at the game today. So uh, I, I I assume it was not snowing. No, there was no so there was a lot of rain. We've been getting a lot of rain in Atlanta as well. And yeah, I was at the game. It was awesome, great fun. So uh, I, I I do want to give it to you first, but for the quick background, so Duke um, uh, got back to winning this evening, which is something they've had a bit of trouble with recently, losing three of their last four prior to this evening's game in Atlanta. Um, but Duke won today at Georgia Tech, um, and. Uh, it was a it was an eighty to sixty nine victory. Started off pretty well for the Blue Devils in the first half. They got up uh, almost by double um, at at halftime, and then the lead kind of slowly whittled away throughout the second half. I think the most notable um, part, you know, like kind of big picture thing about this game was greater use of the bench for Coach K's team, mainly due to uh, Marvin Bagley being out from this game uh, with what we heard was a sprained knee, but it was not apparently serious enough that we're going to have to start a whole vigil about it. Uh, and then on top of Bagley being out, uh, Coach K decided to have Trevon Duval come off the bench in this game, I would assume, based on his mostly erratic play the last few games. So the starting lineup for this evening's game was the first different starting lineup we've seen all season from the Blue Devils. So sub out Duval and Bagley uh, in were Marvin were um, sorry Marquise Bolden and Alex O'Connell, um, both of them getting their first starts of the season, and both I think acquitting themselves nicely. But I want to give it to Jason because for the first time in the history of this podcast, in 106 episodes, not only did we have one of us at the game, which we have had before, um, but Jason, who was at the game tonight, was there uh, with a press pass for Duke Basketball Report. Um, so more later on the failure of the Georgia Tech athletic department to monitor closely their media requests, but I do <laughs> want to give it. I do want to give it to Jason first um, because Jason, you got to sit on press row, which the the view from that you sent us does not look like it's quite as good as it is in Cameron. Um, but you were there on press row with the uh, members, the rest of the media, and then you were also in the locker room, the Duke locker room after the game, um, getting, getting some good reactions. So uh, why don't you kind of summarize that experience for us and, and sort of tell us about your experience at the game tonight? Well, obviously, being from Atlanta, I've been to a fair share of Duke-Georgia Tech games at Georgia Tech. Um, but this was, yes, my first time acting as a member of the media um, and, and sitting on press row. Uh, it, like you said, um, Unlike at Duke, where where the media gets to sit courtside at Georgia Tech, they have us um, in the uh, upper deck. It's not quite the rafters, but it's sort of the front row of the upper deck um, in one of the corners of the stadium. And and you know what, um, folks, if you go to the Duke Basketball Report forums, I'll try and post a picture that shows the view from my seat. It wasn't a bad view by any stretch of the imagination. Tech Tech is a stadium that doesn't have many bad seats at all. Um, and I, I felt like I had a good... Um, uh, good view of the entire game. I was able to see pretty much everything that happened in the game with, with relative ease. So that wasn't a problem at all. And you know what? The, the price of admission um, was, uh, was free. So I'm not going to complain too much about where my seats were, seeing as I, I had um, free tickets to a, to a Duke game, which is not an easy thing to get. Uh, it was a ton of fun. I was seated right in between a couple reporters that I actually know. Um, on my immediate left was the Duke Chronicle reporter, um, uh, a guy named Hank Tucker, who is the son of uh, a, a friend of mine, Vance Tucker. Vance's son goes to Duke, covers the Blue Devils for the Chronicle, and he sat right next to me. I've met him on several occasions. We had a fun time chatting throughout the, the, pod, uh, throughout the, uh, throughout the game. And then on the other side of me, to my immediate right, was Jonathan Alexander of the Raleigh News and Observer, who we interviewed on this podcast just a few months ago. Um, I introduced myself to him, and we we talked a little bit about the podcast and about you know he's he's on the Duke beat, obviously. So that was really cool. I was essentially, even though you're on press row, you were sitting with friends, which is a a, a fun thing. Um, uh, they they 
provide us with a little bit of food, a little bit of drink. And, um, you know, I, I got to watch the game. The stadium was probably at least a third, maybe as much as a half Duke fans. It was uh, I had a lot of Duke friends who were at the game and, and they were not alone. There were a ton of Duke people in the stands. Um, it, it sounded it sounded like that throughout the game. There were there were times when, you know, you, you like a, a thing happens on the court and from the TV, you can't really tell what the call was. And I would hear cheering and I'm like, I, I honestly don't know if that was a call in Duke's favor or in Georgia Tech's favor. Um, so, yeah, a, a huge credit to the to the Atlanta area Duke fans because they they really did show up and you could tell from the broadcast. Yeah, and and the really interesting thing was um, Tech did when Tech made their comeback in the second half and they they cut it to about twelve points, ten points or so. It the game really never was all that competitive. Um, I think they got it down to eight at one moment, but um, w- when they made their run, it was so late in the game that. Uh, in fact, at one point, I, I sort of did a mental calculation. Um, Duke had a, a couple possessions where they ran the shot clock down almost to zero, and they didn't score either time, and Tech came down and scored. And and you would maybe go, uh-oh, this is bad. And I I, I realized by that point that, um, that the game was not in danger. If Tech continued to allow us to run 30 seconds off the clock each time, there simply weren't enough possessions left in the game for Georgia Tech to come back. So the game was never really in doubt. Um, but a, as as Sam mentioned, to me, the story of this game um, was the fact that uh, Bagley didn't play and Trevon Duval got sent to the bench and Bolden and O'Connell both got starts. And so after the game, I got to go into the Duke locker room and speak to some of the players. And so we're going to take a second now um, and play you my, my post-game interviews with Alex O'Connell, Marquise Bolden, Grayson Allen, and Wendell Carter. Those were the four guys that I chose to speak to after this game, and, and each of them gave me a couple really interesting answers, and let's go ahead and listen to that right now. Hey, Alex. Hello. Can I ask you really Mind quick? I sit down? Yeah, yeah, no, no, please, of course. Um, coming home, first time starting in the game, I mean, what was that like? Were you surprised? Uh, I, I wasn't surprised because I was told in practice – but, I mean, that was something that I was ready for because, uh, you know, it's just an opportunity for me to continue to make the impact that I do just earlier at the beginning of the game. Uh, did, you, did you prepare differently or, or same mindset? Uh, same mindset, just come in and make an impact and bring energy for my team. But, I mean, it was at home. Were, were you, did you have a lot of family here? Uh, yeah, I had a lot of friends, but, I mean, that really was – I didn't want to focus on them too much because, you know, sometimes that might get in your head. But I, I definitely wanted to, you know, show them that I, I got what it takes, and I was glad that they came out for me today. Now, I, I, I don't know. Did you expect when you committed to Duke that you'd be playing this larger role as a freshman? Uh, you know, that wasn't the first thing I thought when I committed, but, you know, it's something that I've worked towards this season, and it's something that I, I've gotten experience with, and I think it's something that I can continue to do this season and on to the next few seasons. Thanks a lot. Yeah, absolutely. So, Marquis, you uh, – when did you find out you'd be starting today? Um, yesterday, basically. Yeah. I mean, my bad. We went over the uh, scouting report yesterday, and that's basically when I found out. You, you've, you've come back from your injury pretty nicely. You've been playing great the past couple of games, but did it surprise you to find out you'd be starting? Uh, no, I mean, we had a man go down, and so we were just trying to figure out what would be the best starting lineup for today's game, and, and I knew I'd fit the, the spot. Now, your hook shot has improved, and your footwork has improved tremendously. What, what's behind that? Uh, really just working. I mean, coming off an injury, you know what I'm saying, it's never easy to really get back in the game rhythm, but uh, I've tried to, you know what I'm saying, do my best to, to work with these guys and get back in the gym. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Hey, hey Grayson, you had more shots today from the field than you have had in any game since the Florida State game, more free throws than any game since Portland State. Were you consciously trying to take more of an offensive load because Marvin wasn't around? No, nah, I mean, that's what happens. Uh, when Marvin's in the game, we get him the ball. Um, and so, you know, in a game like this, you get a little bit more down screen actions, you know, more driving kicks, more opportunities to catch and shoot, um, you know, just really more opportunities on offense to score. Whereas when he's in there, we're obviously going to play off of him because of the talent that he has. And, uh, you know, guys have been keying in on my three point shot and not helping off me when he gets it. And tonight we we're able to move it a little better. And I got some open looks to start off. Uh, how tough was it to come back from the really disappointing loss to Georgia Tech and I'm sorry to, to UNC and show the kind of intensity in this game? Intensity is something that's been lacking for you guys the past couple of games, hasn't it? 
Uh, yeah, I mean it, it's been there, it's been there for stretches, but we haven't put it together for a complete game. Um, you know, losing two straight, three of the last four is uh, it, it's a, it's a wake up call to our team, and so we we came out tonight. Uh, and you know, just get, gave everything, put everything out there to start the game, put everything out there, start the second half, and uh, we did a great job of responding to our losses. And the team, our team's maturing, which is a good sign. As the senior captain, do you think it's on you to to show these guys what it takes to to have that intensity for 40 minutes? Uh, I mean, yeah, partly. Um, you know, I, I felt like we did a pretty good job of that at the beginning of the season, and. We're 20 games in, so you know there's only so much I can show them, and now it's kind of been in their hands. But we got to do it as a group, and you know part of that is whenever whenever I see lapses, I need to bring that up and get these guys fired back up. Um, so you know it's it's really on everybody, but me as the leader, I have to be the guy that you know puts that in them, fires them up. Are you a are you a lead by verbal or lead by example kind of guy? Uh, both. I've 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 turned into both. Um, you know I got I have to be vocal out there. Uh, where I wasn't before, but I have to be vocal. I've learned to be vocal and you know see things and confront them at an instant. And uh, just talking to the guys, it, it, it brings it brings you together out there on the court. Thanks a lot. So, I know you went to Pace Academy here in Atlanta. What was it like coming home, um, playing in front of? The, you had a ton of fans in the stadium. I could tell. Yeah, uh, it's always good to be back home to play for my. Uh, play in front of my city, but uh, at the same time, I came in thinking it was just another business trip. I didn't want to, like, blow my own head up and uh, think I had to do something spectacular in this game. Just go out and play my game, and we got the W. Now, Marvin wasn't available for this game. First time you're playing without him, really, other than that Michigan State game where you didn't know about it in advance. Did you did you approach the game differently because of that? Um, not so much. Um, I, he is a, a terrific scorer for us, um, terrific, terrific rebounder, terrific all-around player, so I think it was kind of a team effort. Everybody had to elevate their game. How important was it to win this one after those two losses? Um, very important. Um, you know, our backs were against the wall. You know, we just came out and played uh, with a chip on our shoulder, and we came out with the W. Hey, Wendell, from here in Atlanta, how do you describe your season so far and just the, the way you've grown? Um, you know, choosing Duke was one of the best decisions of my life. They, they've definitely, I've definitely grown as not only a basketball player, but a uh, but a student and just a person overall. And um, I've definitely gotten a lot better on and off the court. So guys, I thought the most interesting thing from all of that was, was two places. One was Grayson Allen talking about leadership and intensity. And he said, we're 20 games into this and these guys kind of need to learn to do it themselves. It can't all be coming from me. I thought that was really telling on his part. And then the other interesting thing to me was uh, none of these guys seemed even remotely, you know, nonplussed or overly excited or, or anything like that about having different roles in this game. Alex O'Connell and Marquise Bolden starting O'Connell starting a game in front of, you know, his family and friends first time back in Atlanta as a freshman and he gets a start and and Wendell Carter, another guy who was first time back home in his hometown. I've I've talked for a while about the Atlanta freshman for the Duke Blue Devils. Um and Wendell Carter was here for the first time. I I I I've mentioned in the past that I um, I know that the high school that Wendell Carter went to, I know a lot of kids who were there, a lot of families who were there, and a tremendous number of them turned out today at the game. I saw them. There were people wearing, there were people wearing Duke shirts, but there were also a lot of people wearing Pace Academy. That's where Wendell went to shirt. There were a ton of Pace Academy um, t-shirts and, and sweatshirts in the Georgia Tech Stadium today. Folks there turned out to, to root for Wendell, but he also didn't seem in any way you know, changed by that. I, I thought he maintained his calm really well. Um, and for all these guys, I think it's a, a good sign of maturity, even though they are freshmen or, or in the case of Bolden, a sophomore. Uh, I thought they, they played really, you know, really nicely, despite having changed, altered roles and altered expectations um, in this game. Did, did you guys, uh, Donald, you know, it's been a while since you checked, uh, you know, any reaction to, to the, the comments I got from the guys? Yeah, I think the one thing that I, I took note of is uh, you asked about uh, Grayson Allen being a vocal leader or one that leads by example. And he talked a lot about how he has he's become both and that he's had to really work on over the years becoming more vocal and actually, you know, getting in guys' faces and 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 commanding things out on the floor. I thought that was pretty interesting to see, you know, how he's developed as a leader and how he feels that he 
has improved and what he's working on. So that's always an, a, a nice insight uh, that you don't get from a lot of people. Uh, and and I'll, I'll note that you were uh, when we were talking in the chat, I thought it was really funny uh, when you said that you were going around asking questions to reporter and reporters were basically like standing around looking at you like, is that is that a right stat? Is that correct? Uh, so <laughs> yeah. I thought it was pretty cool. You're asking you're, you're asking Grace now. I'm like, yo, you've had more points than Portland State and this. And they were like, oh, wait, are you sure? And and you just kept asking a question. I thought that was cool. So you, you sounded like a pro out there, which is good. It, it was, it, I'll tell you, it was a ton of fun. And and yeah, what Donald's alluding to, it was kind of amusing. Uh, so there would there would be crowds of reporters. Around, like every, there was a big crowd around Grayson Allen by big, you know, like five or six of us. Um, uh, and, and then, uh, but but they would all like, when I started asking questions, uh, usually everyone was sort of alternating. I would start asking questions and the other reporters would sort of stop and listen to me ask my questions. <laughs> and then yeah, I mean, when, I, that, when I was part done, of the business though, right? I mean, they don't have to get the quotes all themselves, the, the, especially the, the star players like Grayson Allen are always going to have a handful of microphones in their faces whenever they're available to the press. So you could see how there's a little bit of like, uh, like a distribution of duty among the press corps. So you were just you were just taking up the reins because you were the new guy. Exactly. But it was kind of funny when I got done talking to Grayson and and like Donald said, there are a couple of questions I asked him where I where I said, you know, hey, this is the most field goals you've had in any one game since Florida State, the most free throws since Portland State. Um, and, and after I asked that question, one of the other reporters said, are, are, are you sure? Are you right about those stats? I said, yeah, absolutely. So then I, I moved over and I was going to go talk to Wendell Carter. And that same reporter, as well as one other guy, kind of followed me. They were like, "Ooh, what's this guy going to ask next? <laughs> <laughs> Like you's probably you're probably rattling off the stats and and Grace was probably like for real oh yeah I like, didn't hey, know that, I didn't know that. Right, I didn't yeah because those guys because those guys are trained to like block that stuff out although on the uh, on the on the broadcast there wasn't an interesting point where I think it, it was it Donald was it Corey Alexander who was the the color guy for this game I think it was yeah um, I think it the was former UVA player was talking about seeing um, Gary Trent and Trey Young in AAU games and how they would both be like tracking their their points in a game like against the other guy and that they were always like in competition which i thought was fun but no in, in general i would imagine that a player like grayson allen is not worried about his his free throw attempts game to game and doesn't know how many he had i mean he's certainly trying to get to the line but he's not like oh i only had nine free throw attempts tonight and the other night i had 13 so whatever but uh, yeah, so and, I, I, I i liked that you that you threw that stuff at him and and it is it was cool getting getting um, what I think were were really good reactions from them, um, especially because we know that um, getting current Duke players to to talk on the record with us uh, on our own time is is sort of challenging. Yeah, really quickly, really quickly, uh, Jason. I also wanted to note I I I liked the poise that Alex O'Connell showed after the game when he uh, when you asked him about you know how he prepared for this game and how you know when they found out about it uh, and the fact that he knew about it yesterday and even though he knew he was coming back home. Uh, the fact that he just kind of treated it like another ball game and just he's like, I just need to play my game and and, you know, bring the energy that I bring, whether I'm coming off the bench or starting. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. And by the way, one, one thing I want to mention about Grayson Allen, and, and I guess we're sort of now segueing, at least I am in my head, I'm segueing into analysis of the game and what I noted from this game. The reason I asked Grayson Allen those seemingly mundane questions about field goal attempts and free throws was not just picking out some random stat that he would notice. But I really thought part of the story of this game was, uh, especially early on, it felt to me like Grayson was looking to take on more of a role, a, a uh, more of an offensive role that um, he, he's been, you know, deferring to the young guys a, a pretty good bit lately. And, and I thought it was significant. You know, he was over 20 points in this game and he hasn't done that in a while. And he, he was just taking more shots and being a little more aggressive offensively. And I, I think that's an important thing for Duke in terms of Duke's success moving forward. I, I'd like to see him, you know, continue. He doesn't have to take, you know, 14 shots and 10 free throws every single game. Those are big numbers. But um, I'd love to see him, you know, be in that kind of general range. When, when we have Grayson Allen scoring 16 plus, 18 plus per game, I think that's really good for this team. Um, and he, he's been a bit below that for a, for a little while. And, and then, uh, you know, one other thing I want to mention, and then I'll, then I'll get to you guys because I want, you know, your impressions of the game. Um, Duke went zone. Duke went zone from the tap. Um, and, uh, you know, 
I wasn't really, I, I didn't notice if we, I think we played a little bit of man-to-man, but we mostly played, I'd say we played zone at least 85% of the possessions in this game, maybe more like 90 or 95%. Um, and, and it was just a few days ago that, that, you know, I interviewed John Shire and we talked a little bit about zone and man-to-man. And he said that, uh, you know, there's obviously you have to do both because uh, uh, opponents get comfortable against one or the other. Um, I, I think that Duke's zone confused Tech from the start, and but I'm I'm surprised and somewhat impressed that Coach K decided, okay, we're just going to stick with this. We're not going to, you know, play 10 possessions of zone and then some possessions of man-to-man, you know, which is what Shire had talked about. Shire talked about mixing it up. We, we didn't really mix it up that much. We stayed zone almost the entire game, and and it hounded Georgia Tech into a really, really poor shooting performance. Tech's a, a bad offensive team. They, they don't shoot well, period. Um, so so I think, you know, making them – take difficult shots over our zone was, was the way to go, but it's gonna be real interesting to see if we, if we continue to play that way, you know, if coach K has decided, is this a key moment? Have we decided that we're a zone team? Well, I mean, it's not like Duke was fully successful on defense throughout the game. Georgia tech did score 43 points in the second half and had a flurry of offensive rebounds, which I think if you're, if you're looking at zone defense, one of the things that the zone is supposed to prevent is, is the, is that is the opponent getting offensive rebounds. So something went wrong in the second half that was that was clicking well in the first half. And and I know that the the rotation kind of got a little out of whack. And I would imagine that some of the players were just were just you know in uncomfortable situations because they were maybe playing slightly different roles than they normally do, where Bagley is often in the game. I mean he plays almost every minute that he's healthy um of of every game. So um that part of it, I, I, I agree with you. It was kind of nice to see them play majority zone. I don't know that I liked it as much as as you did, like being, you know, the 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 really um, like overwhelming presence on 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 defense. Um, I liked seeing it a lot, and and it did cause a lot of disruption. And I I think I I'm not necessarily well trained enough to to recognize it, but it definitely seemed like. It wasn't just the standard like Syracuse Orange two three zone. It did feel like Duke was kind of adjusting um, the shape of the zone based on the kind of plays that Georgia Tech was running. And Georgia Tech was not, I think, for the most part, trying to do sort of the standard like um, you know guy at the at the free throw line offense to counter the zone. Um, they were moving it back and forth a lot, um, like around the top of the key. And so Duke was kind of was kind of adjusting a little bit themselves. Um, so I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll tell you, by the way, one of the things, uh, you know, that the guys in the press box, one of the things we were talking about was we were trying to identify what kind of a zone it was. You're right. Yeah, it wasn't exactly. a standard two, three. Um, right. There there were, t- it looked, it looked almost like a three, two, a lot of the time, or almost a one, three, one at times. But, but you're right that um, uh, Duke was uh, extending on the wings a lot and they weren't allowing the ball to easily get to the middle, which is what we did a lot against Virginia. Um, uh, now, luckily, you know, Isaiah Wilkins couldn't hit the broadside of a barn when we played Virginia, but, um, uh, you know, that was definitely a danger spot. And, and it seemed like we adjusted the type of zone we played to not have that happen quite as much in this game. Well, and I think that, I think that unlike, you know, like I said, the, the way that teams normally attack by, by putting a, you know, a, like a good passer and a good shooter at the, at the top of the free throw line, it seemed like tonight Georgia Tech was using the guy in the middle more often to screen against one of those zone defenders so that um, so that like the ball could move more efficiently because because the Duke players didn't have the same sort of like lateral availability that they would normally expect to have. Um, Donald, what did you what did you kind of think of that of that defensive effort from Duke? I thought it was a really good defensive effort uh, for the most part. I think there was a stretch in the second half where we didn't box out. We've talked about the offensive rebounds that Georgia Tech had. The issue with it is what they're doing is they were coming in and basically, you know, zones have obviously angles where you can slash through and get to the basket. What they were doing was what our guys were not doing well on. If you're in a zone and the ball goes up for a shot, you're supposed to find a body and then box that person out and then go for the rebound. And man to man is easier to do that because you're right next to the guy that you're guarding and you can just turn and kind of defend. But in the zone, it's very important that you have to look for somebody 
go to that person and then block them out and then go get the rebound. Our guys didn't do that for a cup for a stretch of about five minutes in the second half. And that's why they ended up with a lot of those offensive rebounds. But I think for the most part, the, the defense was working. They were, you know, there's a lot of energy on that, on that offense. I'm sorry. I'm in that zone, which I really liked. Uh, Wendell Carter jr. Was all over the place, uh, both on offense and defense. Uh, and that kind of energy was really important. I thought Marquise Bolden did very well uh, for a lot of the game as well when he was in the middle of that offense because he was the guy that was looking for a, a body to block out before he went and got the rebound. So uh, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed that. Jason, what did you think about that? Yeah. So you just identified two of the really um, important and interesting things about this game, which was. Um, Marquise Bolden and Wendell Carter Jr. playing together. Um, and the reason it's interesting is usually those guys, usually Marvin Bagley's in the game and those guys are alternating playing alongside Bagley. Um, and for Wendell Carter Jr. especially, this was, he wasn't playing, you know, the five, the center, the the main guy in the post, because that's you know, more of a if he and Bolden are in the game together, those that fits Bolden's skill set more than his. He's able to to play, you know, a little bit outside more than Bolden can, way more than Bolden can. So as a result, uh, you know, like I noticed almost immediately, I was like, you know, Duke's in this three two or whatever zone, but Carter isn't, you know, just staying back there protecting the rim. Carter's going out on the wing, um, extending in the way that Marvin Bagley usually does. And I thought it was really interesting. I thought you saw some something really special from Wendell Carter that he was able to succeed at that as well as he did. I thought he, you know, he had to handle the ball out on the perimeter a lot more than than usual. Um, he had a re- he had a very very nice game. Uh, you know, it's sort of, for me, it's between him and Grayson Allen for who who was player of the game. Um, and uh, I thought. I thought Carter was was just outstanding, and I'm glad you mentioned Bolden. Didn't have a big second half, but in the first half, I thought Bolden was really outstanding. He's getting better and better at rebounding out of his, you know, immediate spot, which to me has always been a problem for him. Like if the ball comes to him, Marquise Bolden grabs it. If it's a little bit away from him, he's usually not as good at getting those rebounds, which is something that Carter and Bagley do incredibly well. And I thought Bolden is showing more and more an ability to rebound out of his location, which is a big, big key for him. And then the other thing is that little hook shot, the, dude, he was almost unstoppable on that little hook shot in the post and, and taking it at Ben Lammers, who's a, who's a good physical ACC defensive center. And Bolden didn't seem bothered at all. I, I, I thought Bolden showed tremendous promise in this game. If I, if I might make a unreasonable and perhaps unfair comparison, when you talk about having Bolden and Carter play alongside each other, it sort of reminds me of the, those Spurs teams with David Robinson and, and Tim Duncan, where they're kind of both centers, but Tim Duncan is able to move around a little bit more and and make like mid-range shots. And that was probably the role that that Carter was playing tonight. I don't know if if Coach K was like using that as a specific example, um, but he does have David Robinson's kid sitting at the end of the bench, so um, maybe it's a maybe it's not so much of a stretch for them to be sort of thinking about the offense that way, knowing that Bolden was going to be playing extended minutes with Bagley out in this game. Um, I think that the, the, the other thing that I wanted to touch on was seeing Duval's reaction to his demotion in this game, because he's, you know, we, we talked, Jason, you talked about Bolden coming on strong and, and O'Connell being sort of ready to, to take up the, the increased load. All that was going to be coming at, at the, um, you know, at, at Trevon Duval's sort of expense, he's not starting. Um, even when he was in the game, he wasn't necessarily playing point guard the whole time. You, you saw Grayson Allen handling the ball a lot more. And I thought that Duval still made a couple of the mistakes. I think that we, that, that have gotten us so frustrated with him. You know, there were a couple of times where he, where he drove the lane and, and either passed to somebody who wasn't ready or, or sort of passed to nobody. Um, but it didn't seem to me like, and he was he was taking it poorly at least in the game. Um, he came in, he played he played with intensity. Um, he still was was really active on defense and uh, and made that one corner three that that felt so huge in the second half. So um, I, I would say credit to Duval for you know being a team player and 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 contributing in a way that felt you know 
perhaps more natural. I, I, I don't know, you know, if this is going to be the rotation going forward or if this was just like a wake up call to him, but um, it seemed like he took it really well. By the way, oh my God. So with four minutes left, um, Duke had extended the, the lead and uh, Trayvon Duval, um, uh, Trayvon Duval f- made a silly foul in the backcourt uh, of Josh Okogie. Um, that sent him to the free throw line, and uh, as soon as Kogi, who was having like the game of his life, yeah, well, he's oh, their yeah. best. He's their only good offensive player. I mean, that's that's the truth. Um, when Duval made that again, Duke is trying to milk the clock. Duke has seen their their lead sort of you know be whittled down almost to single digits from from double digits, and Duval fouls Georgia Tech's best player in the backcourt um, and allows him to go to the free throw line to take a couple shots. Um, and I saw the moment he made the foul, I saw coach K and he literally turned his back to the court and you saw like his body shaking. (laughs) Like he didn't, he wasn't looking at the court. He was looking at his assistant coaches and I guarantee you there were words coming out of his mouth that, uh, would not pass muster under a PG 13 movie rating. Um, it was really, it was kind of funny, uh, to, to see that happen. Yeah. Duval still makes. He still makes mistakes that you just want to go, God, dude, really? And, and, and I got a question for y'all. If you think about it, so he didn't start, even though we were missing a starter in Marvin Bagley. So that's five guys starting, Bagley number six. And then Javin Delorier was the first guy off the bench. That's seven. Is Trayvon Duval all the way down to the number eight man on this team? All right. Do you want me to make another perhaps unfair comparison? Um, go ahead. Because we because we love talking about years when Duke wins the national championship. Uh, is this change in starting lineup, the uh, 2010 Maryland game in Cameron where Brian Zubek got his first start of the season and then Duke rolled <laughs> the rest of the way and only lost one game um, through April that year. Uh, it yes. is entirely yes. possible. Yes. Wait, say, it, say is. it is. <laughs> no, it is entirely possible that Duke will roll from here. This team is incredibly talented, and if they were to win out the rest of the season, including winning the national title, there is no one who would say they were completely shocked and surprised to see that happen. That's how talented they are. That's how good they could be. If that's the case, I don't think we will look back in this game and go, "Oh, there was some sea change. There was some massive well, change I, in how this team plays." I didn't see it in this game. Did you? No, 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 I, I didn't, and and I'm I'm being a bit facetious, but the comparison is interesting only because in in that instance, um, if you'll recall, Brian Zubek started that game um, alongside Lance Thomas in the post, and the speculation was that Lance Thomas was going to be out for that game, or that he was going to be taking a smaller role because he had injured his knee the previous game against UNC, um, and. He he had been starting alongside Miles Plumley, who was a who was a sophomore at the time, um, and so in, and and Coach K kind of threw everybody a a, a quick one by keeping Thomas in, putting Zubek in in place of Plumley, and having both of the Plumleys come off the bench, um, which then made the starting lineup a lot older. It's not the same thing here. Um, obviously, Bagley was was out out for this game, so it, it wasn't that case. And Duval still played a pretty significant role. I will say that I think that the interesting thing looking forward for Duval is whether or not he starts. I want to know how many minutes he's playing and I want to know how many of those minutes he's spending playing point guard on offense. Um, because and we by know the way, that regarding, regarding yeah. minutes, he, he played more minutes in this game than he did against UNC. So, so that that's interesting to me because it says that, that maybe this was only a symbolic thing from coach K and not a, like, like this is your new role kind of thing, right? If if he's if he's down to only playing like twenty five minutes a game, then that's a huge difference from what he was doing. And if O'Connell is now going to be playing fifteen or twenty minutes as opposed to like the five or ten that he that he normally plays in these ACC games, and, and really more on the low end of that of that assumption, um, I, I do want to see going forward, especially against a team that is more, you know tournament bound for lack of a better term than, than Georgia tech is. Um, and, and we have a couple of those coming up this week. I don't want to get to them too quickly. If Donald, if you have anything else to say about, uh, about this game against Georgia tech, but if you don't, let's move on to the, uh, to those Virginia tech and Clemson games coming. 
Donald, that was oh. your key to say something. <laughs> no, I, was, I, was, I thought we were breaking because I, I just typed yeah, down. Yeah, you, can, you, can, you can have the last word. Uh, we won. That's the last word. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. That's a good one. Okay. <laughs> this episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Bird Campbell PA, founded by two Duke alumni, Tucker Bird and Jamie Campbell, with law offices in Florida and Texas. Bird Campbell says, let's go Duke. So, like I mentioned before, Duke has two games coming up this week. Uh, the schedule is a little bit different. We've got another Sunday game like we also did this week against Georgia Tech. Normally, I think ACC teams are playing on Saturdays, but Duke's got two Sundays in a row. We're not going to have time, I don't think, but you know, among the three of us to do another show before that upcoming Sunday game against Clemson. So we're going to preview them both here. We'll start with the Virginia Tech game, which is this Wednesday. It's Valentine's Day, and Duke's date is uh, with the Hokies, with Buzz Williams' squad. Uh, they're coming to Cameron, and uh, I want to I get some thoughts from Jason because I know that you've watched a little bit of Virginia Tech, but um, for some background, uh, Virginia Tech's kind of had a bit of an up-and-down season, although they are coming off a huge high, the highlight of their season. They won at Charlottesville uh, on Saturday. College game day was there. The UVA crowd was was fired up, um, and and Buzz Williams' squad managed to um, squeak out a win, the first loss for UVA. It was an overtime game. Um, UVA's first loss, I, I should say, in ACC play this year, only their second loss of the season. Um, both of their losses now to, to uh, rivals of theirs, one to Virginia Tech and one earlier this season to West Virginia. So a, a huge win for for that team. Um, and Virginia Tech is, is, when you look at their efficiency numbers, a little bit like Duke. Um, 20th on offense, according to Ken Palm, and 90th on defense. So overall, they're 40th in Ken Palm, and they do play at somewhat of a fast pace. Um, they're in the top 100 or so of um, of all Division One teams in pace. So kind of, a, I would ex- I would expect to see a little bit of kind of Duke light from them. Um, it should be a pretty pretty fast game, back and forth. Uh, expect a high scoring game. I would say like sort of the normal Duke games that we've seen this year. I would not expect. Uh, a game in the sixties, like it was against Virginia. Um, Jason, I, I think you have gotten to see Virginia tech a couple times recently, or you, maybe you watched that UVA game. Uh, what can yes. you tell us about Hokies? Yeah. So uh, whenever a team plays Duke, I sort of think there are two key things to look at. And in the case of Virginia tech, um, those two key things happen to play right into one of Tech's strengths and one of their weaknesses. The two key things in my opinion are are you a team that can bomb away from outside and really hit your three-pointers? If you look at the games that Duke has lost, um, you know it goes all the way back to that first BC game, the NC State game. Consistently, when Duke loses, uh, the, one of the major themes is uh, the opponent is able to shoot long-range shots. Uh, we, we talked earlier this season about the fact that Duke was giving up more three-pointers than we have in years, in decades And that is one of Virginia Tech's real strengths. This Virginia Tech team likes to put the ball up from the perimeter. They hit almost 40% of their three-pointers, which is a a, a big number. That's really good shooting from from the outside. They have four different guys who've taken around 100, more than 100 three-point attempts on the season. Duke only has two. Allen and Trent, the only guys in the Duke team who've taken more than 100 um, three-point shots. Virginia Tech has three guys plus another one who's taken 90. Um, So Virginia Tech has a lot of guys who are bombing away from the outside, and, and that's a lot of their game. They like to, like you said they like to play with pace and they like to put the shot put shots up quickly especially shots from long range so what's the other key when you're playing against duke i think teams always have to look at how are we going to fare on the boards because duke is such a great rebounding team we have so much size especially now that marquise bolden and javin delorier are healthy and, and bolden's really playing very very nicely um duke has even more size uh And so teams have to wonder, are we going to be able to control the boards? And again, when Duke loses games, it tends to be that we got beat on the boards, that we got beat rebounding, or at least that teams, you know, fought us to a, to, to an even battle on the boards. If you can, if you, if Duke doesn't dominate you on the boards, you've got a chance against Duke. 
So this plays into something about Virginia Tech that is one of their weaknesses. For the most part, the only guy in Virginia Tech who is at all tall who plays is Kerry Blackshear. Kerry Blackshear Jr. is 6'10". Other than Kerry Blackshear, they really don't play anybody, at least not meaningful minutes, um, who's over 6'5". This is a small Virginia Tech team. They tend to play four perimeter guys around Blackshear, and sometimes they're even playing, playing five perimeter guys. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's interesting to watch. Now, these guys rebound well, considering they're largely guards, but um, they're, not, they're not a great rebounding team. Virginia Tech is not. And, and so my two keys to the game, the two things to watch, will Virginia Tech be able to get a lot of shots off from the outside and be able to hit a high percentage of them? And will Duke be able to dominate the boards? Um, and, and obviously a piece of this is going to be whether or not Marvin Bagley is healthy again and able to play in that game. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's three days from now and, and, you know, we've sort of heard that the injury isn't all that bad. So hopefully he'll be back for this game. Guys, anything else to add about Virginia tech? No, I, I think that, I think that seeing Bagley is kind of the most important to me. Obviously I want Duke to, to win the game because it's any game, and it, in particular, it's at home. Um, but um, seeing Bagley back on the floor and being healthy, this is now the second time this year that we've that he's lost any time to injury. Of course, he missed most of the Michigan State game, and uh, so just having him back on the floor will be at least a breath of uh, of fresh air um, for the Blue Devils. So that's Wednesday night against Virginia Tech. Um, this Sunday, Duke is playing a road game at Clemson. Clemson is having an excellent season. They're they're ranked in the AP poll. They've been ranked most of the season. And I know, Donald, you got a chance to take a look at Clemson. Uh, what about them stands out, and what do you think Duke needs to do to win on the road? So I'm going to focus on their defense. Uh, they're, you know, they're 15th in Kempom overall, but in defense and adjusted defensive efficiency, they're 14th. Uh, they're very active on the defensive end. They can block shots, they can alter shots, and they can make you take bad shots. And it's and that's you know, a, a team that you want to see when, you, you know, it, on defense, they're just active. And and I, that's kind of the best way to describe it. I, I don't have a better word to do it, but it's one of those things where when you watch them play, you note their energy, you note their intensity on defense, and they almost relish the fact that they are going to limit you offensively and take the ball and run. Uh, they only allow 65.1 points per game. That's 23rd in the nation. So this is a really good defensive team we'll be facing next Sunday um in 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 the, in the Clemson uh, Tigers so for Duke to win this game they need to take care of the basketball and they need to make smart decisions on offense you know too many times we try to force things and make like lazy dumb passes that lead to turnovers or, or transition points and one area that we can exploit the defense is beyond the arc in three of Clemson's four losses the team that they faced hit 10 threes or more now this is not our strong suit this year but if Trent and Allen can hit their threes and they can spread out Clemson's defense to kind of take pressure off of the middle, then we can take them out of their ball game and we should be able to do well, especially if Bagley comes back uh, uh, by then and also Wendell Carter. To me, one of the really interesting things about Clemson is uh, they just a few games ago, five games ago, they lost Dante Grantham, um, who who seems to say was their best player. Um, He was their second leading scorer. He was their second leading rebounder. Um, uh, also collected assists, and he was uh, he was really the team leader. Um, and the assumption was that the Clemson Tigers would just go into the tank once that happened. Um, that they would be, they would not be nearly as good a team, minus his senior leadership and and his extremely skilled play. I mean, Grantham was I don't know if he was quite in the running to be first team All ACC, but he wasn't far off from it. Um, uh, and and instead, what? So the first game they played without him, they absolutely got destroyed by Virginia. They only scored 36 points against Virginia. It's it's probably the, it's almost certainly the low point of their season. Um, but since that game, they've won four in a row, and they've looked fairly good doing it. Although they kind of picked the right moment to lose a, a star, <laughs> um, because the the four games they've won, they, they won road games against Wake and Georgia Tech, two of the worst teams in the ACC, and they won home games against Pitt the worst team in the ACC and against UNC. Now the UNC win is a great win for them. Um, but, but you know, it's a home game. Um, it's not like Clemson has been playing the, the top half of the conference 
um, uh, since they lost Grantham. And, and, you know, Duke is a step up in quality um, from, from what they've been facing lately. Uh, it's going to just be really interesting that, you know, this is an important test for the Clemson Tigers. Uh, and, and it's probably the battle for second place in the ACC. Clemson's nine and three in the conference. Duke is eight and four. Um, I don't think anybody's catching Virginia, but, um, being the number two seed carries some weight. And, uh, and I, you know, uh, we got unlucky and we only play Clemson once and we play them at their place. Um, so we're going to have to bring a lot of intensity. They always play really, really hard and really emotional um, in Little John. And, uh, you know, it, it'll be a big deal for Duke if we can come out of there with a win. It would be a huge, huge sign of, um, uh, you know, of where this team perhaps is headed if we can get that victory. Yeah, and with not many games left for Duke in the regular season, um, there's only so much time left to fine-tune, especially, I think, I think the the defensive effort because we've talked about how the defensive presence has has changed so much. So every one of these games, um, we should all be watching for any little changes that Duke is making because they are kind of running out of time. And and it kind of harkens back, Jason, to to the quote you got from Grayson Allen earlier about how you know we're we're, we're twenty games into the season, and and he was specifically talking about sort of the intensity and the leadership. But I think there's also some something to be said about scheme. Um, so it'll be interesting to see Duke play a really tough team, a team that, you know, could end up with, with a top three, top four type seed in the NCAA tournament on the road. Uh, it, it, it's a big test for Duke similar, I think, at least in quality to the, uh, to the test they had in Chapel Hill the other night. So, um, so we'll, we'll see how that game goes. And, and as I mentioned, we will uh, catch back up with all of you, after that Clemson game, I don't know exactly when we'll get to record, um, but we'll we'll be with you soon after that game. Let's let's wrap up the way we normally do. So I will start with uh, Player of the Week honors, and I will give it to you first, Donald. Who is your Player of the Week? Uh, so we're I guess we're doing the Georgia Tech game, and I am going to go with Wendell Carter Jr. I really loved his energy. I think he was all over the place, uh, both, like I said, both on offense and defense. And I think that with his energy, that was the difference, especially in the first half where we got out to uh, a good lead and, and just really uh, took the game out of the hands of Georgia Tech and made them have to crawl back. So uh, with that, Wendell Carter Jr. is my player of the week. Okay, great. And uh, Jason, your player of the week, I guess it's player of the game, like, like Donald said. Yeah, uh, and um, I, I'm going to go with Wendell Carter Jr. as well. I I, I just thought he played outstanding basketball. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier, 19 points, 10 rebounds. He also had four block shots, um, and uh, and I was really impressed, as I said, that he was able to adjust to not just being the main guy in the post, to playing a little bit more on the perimeter, to handling the ball a little bit more, to having a different kind of defensive assignment. Um, and he did it all in his hometown in front of a bunch of his fans. So uh, I thought Wendell Carter Jr. was my player of the week. So in the interest of, of just bringing him back into the fold, I would like to give my player of the week honor to Grayson Allen for, uh, for having probably his best ACC game to date um, scoring a whole bunch of points, being all over the place on offense and on defense, um, distributing, looking, I, I think, more more focused and and more ready and, and hungrier um, than we have seen him, I think, in some time. So my player of the week honor goes to Grayson Allen. We'll finish with parting shots. And Donald, I will also start with you once again. Do you have a parting shot for this week? Yeah, it's just very quickly uh, on a personal note, I will be traveling to Durham. Uh, on the 21st for the uh, Louisville game. So it'll be a good chance to get back, good way to get back to Durham. I'll be happy to be back. So if anyone is in Durham for that game, uh, look for me in the stands. I don't know where my seats are yet, but I do have tickets and uh, should be a good game. And you're going to be buying shots for everybody at Shooters after the game, right? Uh, no, I'm going to be driving back uh, four hours so I can <laughs> oh, go to work. Man. Shooters will have to wait. <laughs> All right, next next time. Next time. Uh, that that'll be great. Uh, so we will have we will have more firsthand reactions. Although it doesn't sound like you'll be uh, you'll be on press row for that one, which is which is fine. Um, yeah, no Jason, press row yet, but something we will we will work on for next year. Sure, um, Jason, your parting shot I think is about um, about uh, NCAA selection committee. Is that right? 
It is. It is correct. Uh, by the way, before I get to that really quickly, I just want to say, like Donald said, I know there were a number of Duke fans um, who contacted me who said, hey, let's get together at the game. Um, I, I couldn't because I was so busy doing press row related activities uh, for the Georgia Tech game, including getting my interview post game. Um, sorry, I missed a bunch of y'all, but uh, um, uh, thanks for reaching out to me. And I wish I could have liaised with, uh, you know, with a bunch of Duke fans. Um, uh, I, I met some people, but not not as many as I would have liked. But let's get to my real parting shot. Um, guys, we have to have a discussion about this. So um, for years, people have mocked the process of bracketology. Uh, Joe Lenardi and other folks who try to project the bracket at various points during the season. Um, but lo and behold, the uh, NCAA, has, NCAA has decided that they want to get in on that game. And this year, they did the same thing last year. This year, with sort of exa almost exactly one month before Selection Sunday, um, some members, I don't believe it was all the members of the committee, but some members of the NCAA Selection Committee got together and put together not a full bracket, but just the top four seeds in each region, which is the top 16 overall seeds. And, uh, and they, they put them into regions and they, you know, they, they did it the exact way they would do it on Selection Sunday. So it's, uh, it's a pretty interesting snapshot of, of where they see teams right now. Um, uh, they, they put Virginia as the overall number one seed, the top seed in the country. I don't have any argument with that. I think that that makes perfect sense. They put Virginia in the South region. Villanova, Xavier, and Purdue are the other number ones. Again, I don't have any big arguments with any of that. Uh, Duke falls to a gets a number two seed. We are number two in the East region, along with Villanova, Texas Tech, and Ohio State. While I don't like getting Villanova, I don't mind getting Texas Tech and Ohio State as my number three and number four, especially because Michigan State is a number three over in the southeast, over in the south region. And the other number threes are North Carolina out west and Clemson in the Midwest. Um, it's impressive that Clemson is all the way up to a number three, uh, probably maybe a little bit higher than some people would have necessarily thought uh, for Clemson um, and, and a really impressive spot for them. It shows that if Duke is able to pull off a win against Clemson next weekend, that the committee will, will view that very, very highly because they clearly think a lot of Clemson. The, 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 the one big comment I have on these brackets is the Midwest region, which is Xavier, Auburn, Clemson, and Oklahoma, uh, is really, in my opinion, really weak compared to the other the other regions. Um, in fact, I think you could make a pretty good argument. Xavier is a pretty good team, um, and they've been playing. They've been playing well. They did. I guess they deserve a number one. But um, I, I sort of think the four teams out there in the Midwest. Uh, I'm not sure that any of them are better than the three teams in the South, which is uh, Virginia, Cincinnati, Michigan State, and Tennessee. Um, the the Midwest to me is a really really weak bracket. Um, Duke unfortunately is not there. But, uh, but I, I just thought it was really interesting the NCAA put this out, and um, good to see that even though Duke had lost three or four when they put it out, that we were still on the two-seed line. Um, and it's just interesting to look at, you know, here we are a month out, and um, you know, we're getting a, a look at what the NCAA thinks about seeding. Jason, one yeah. thing to note with the, with the brackets, and, and I think this should put into perspective kind of what uh, could, you know, in, indicate some story plots, uh, just where the regions are actually going to be this year. Uh, in the West, they will the the West region will be at Staples Center in LA. Uh, the South region will actually be in your town, Jason, at Phillips Arena in Atlanta. Uh, the East regional will be at T TD Garden in Boston, and the Midwest regional will be in Omaha, Nebraska. So when you're talking, you're looking at the South region. I find it interesting that they have Tennessee as the four spot there because that would be you know about an hour and a half for or two hours for them uh, to Atlanta. So that would be kind of a, a an interesting development if it was Virginia. Um, Virginia is also very close, but not as close as Tennessee. And Tennessee would have scores of fans in Atlanta for that game. Yeah, I think my general take on this is that I would just prefer for us to wait until Selection Sunday to see all this stuff. I think that it's it's mostly a lot of navel gazing at the at the entire process. Although it is good, I guess for for some of the teams to see a little bit of the. Um, I, I, it's not really behind the scenes if everybody gets it, but it's, but it is sort of a behind the scenes look at at their thought process and where they see things now. Um, not that Duke is going to be changing the way that they game plan or schedule or anything like that according to to these outcomes, but it is it is interesting stuff to to look at. And and I agree with you, Jason, that that um, that that midwood Midwest region is is not as great. Although that Oklahoma team, you know, could 
beat anybody on any night. Um, they're, they're sort of like the extreme version of Duke where there's, there's a lot of talent, but there's also like a lot of volatility. Um, Dude, they're, so. they're really, they've been fading a lot lately. Um, I, I'm, I'm surprised that they had them as a number four. I, I, they're currently 31st in Ken Pomeroy. I didn't realize they, they had are, fallen that far. Yeah, yeah they, they've, they've fallen pretty, they've fallen pretty far and pretty, pretty hard. Um, I, I don't think Oklahoma, uh, they're, they're just not all that at the moment. They really, really aren't, um, uh, it's the Trey Young effect. Yeah, everybody's, way, that's what it is. Everybody's got a month. Everybody's got a month to pick it up, including all their conference tournaments. So when you have um, the be- when you have one of the best players in college basketball, and, and especially in the tournament, you know, a lot of times we've we've seen tournament runs where one player literally carries his team. And I think this four seed for or this four seed right now for Oklahoma is the Trey Young effect. They think that if he is hot, that Oklahoma is a, is a team that is one of the top sixteen teams in the country. Yeah, that may be, but I, I just don't know how hot he's. Uh, he he hasn't been that hot lately. Let me just put it that way. And, right. and and one other thing worth noting, as long as we're talking really quickly about bracketology, um, the NCAA selection committee this year is it's going to be different than it has been in the past because in the past they only had the RPI, um, to as a reference, you know, in terms of a if you want to call it computer ranking or, you know, something other than the eye test. The only thing they had in there was the RPI. Um, and this year they're being given a data. They're being given Ken Pomeroy's statistics. They're being given ESPN's BPI and, and a couple other different metrics. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, what perhaps changes their mind and, and you know, how teams get get ranked and rated based on those other metrics. From this initial um, bracket preview, it looks like they're still kind of ignoring the the more advanced computer models because Gonzaga is nowhere to be found in the top 16 seeds. And Ken Pomeroy says Gonzaga is the number seven team in the country. And and as we noted, they, you know, they've got Oklahoma among their top 16 teams. Oklahoma is number 31, according to Ken Pomeroy. Um, and, and they've got Xavier as a number one. Pomeroy says Xavier is no better than the 13th best team in the country. So it's sort of weird. You know, it's sort of hard to, to, to see whether or not the committee really is looking at these other statistical measures that, that people say are more effective and more predictive than the RPI, because it doesn't look like the committee looked at them very closely. All right, I will wrap up with my parting shot, uh, of which I have two very short ones. The first of which is, uh, I mentioned it, I think, at the top of the show, but it's Coach K's birthday this week. He turned 71. Um, so once again, happy birthday to him from all of us at the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Uh, an, an incredible run. It, he's he's spent uh, nearly half of his life, or is it, no, over half of his life as the, uh, as the Duke head coach. Um, so... Pretty, pretty remarkable stuff, and uh, hope for many more birthdays for him um, as the as the head coach. And then my other item, I I think I mentioned this anytime it has overlapped with our podcast in the few years we've been here. But uh, I really love watching the Olympics, and uh, I got to watch some Winter Games events last night from uh, Pyeongchang. And shout out to uh, Red Gerard, who I guess is a Colorado guy who won the uh, won the one of the snowboarding. Uh, competitions where you have to go really high up in the air and do a bunch of tricks. So uh, that was really cool. And uh, if if anybody, uh, I would say that in general, we encourage everybody who listens to the show to watch as much college basketball as possible. But I am letting you know that for the next two weeks, you can watch as much Olympics as you want, and we will forgive you for not watching as much basketball as you normally would in that case. Um, does that sound? Does that sound fair? It sounds fair to me. The Olympics are are great. Every you know, every two years when either it's winter or summer, uh, I am glued to the TV. I, I will even tell you guys that as we're recording right now, I have I am always set up where my TV. Ooh, what do you got? What, do you, what 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 are you watching right now? Uh, well, right now is fi- it's uh it's figure skating. So uh, uh, not it. one of my favorite ones, but I it's, it's no, one of those I, things where it doesn't matter. It's the Olympics. I'm gonna watch it anyway. No nah, man, so, I am I am riveted by all of it. I will watch the figure skating. I'll watch. I love the downhill skiing, although they've been um I guess they've been sidelined by by like by very high winds or something. Yeah. Um, so we're gonna have to wait a little bit to to watch like the downhill of the super G. And shout dude, out to dude. the luge guy. Shout out to the luge guy who was in 11th place entering his final run and ended up with silver. That's dope. That's what Amazing. the Olympics are all. About. I love it. Wait, the best sport 
is this like snowboard racing. They have four people at once on snowboards and they go down this course at the same time. It's head to head snowboard racing. Yes. Yeah, no cross. Yeah. It's dope. That is, that is the dope. That is the best. I love yes. that. If you, it's awesome. I, I, I don't know. So as I've, as I mentioned often, I, I live in Denver. I do go skiing a lot. Um, I don't know if you guys go skiing ever or, or ever have, um, the watching that. And I think they do it with, with skiers as well as snowboarders. They do, they do both versions of it where they're all going down the course together. It is the scariest thing to watch as somebody who like, who likes that sport and, and does it. And sometimes unfortunately has to do it in a crowd going down any kind of run where you're like right next to someone is terrifying. Doing it like in competition has got to be the scariest thing you can do. And, and that is giving credit to the dude who like run the the skiing downhill um, where they're going at, at unfathomable speeds, like down ice shoots. Um, all that stuff is like totally terrifying and also riveting for me to watch. Absolutely. So I think that'll do it for us here at the Duke Basketball Report podcast. This was episode 106 um, for Jason Evans and Donald Wine. I am Sam Klein. We'll talk to you again soon. And Duke Band, take us home.